This is recording number 11055 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 16, 2013. This is the fifth message in a series titled, His. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Power in Your Hands. continuing our series titled His, but today we're going to be talking about His power in your hands. Last week we talked about His word on your lips, and we started at this same verse in Acts chapter 4 verse 29, where it says, Now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now we're dropping into the middle of a prayer in the middle of a story. The story was that Peter and John had gone to the temple where the Christians met in the city of Jerusalem every day. And on their way into the temple, they passed by a guy who had been lame or unable to walk since birth. And he uh, begged for alms or uh, money at the gate called Beautiful, one of the entrances to the temple. This day, when Peter and John passed him by, the Lord riveted their attention on him. Not sure exactly why, it doesn't matter. But the Lord riveted their attention upon him. And they said to this man, you know, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And they took him by the hand, and uh, he stood up. His ankle bones received strength, the Bible says. And it was a dramatic, miraculous healing. One that the religious leaders of, uh, among the Jews and in the city of Jerusalem who are already pretty ticked off about the fact that this go, uh, Christian thing was mushrooming in their city and they couldn't figure out how to stop it. Now, with this very public, very dramatic healing, they, had, they felt compelled to do something, so they put Peter and John in jail. And then they tried to figure out, well, now what do we do? Do we kill them? But they figured, well, if we put them to death, then that'll just create martyrs and make things worse. Finally, they decide to release them with a, with a very severe, stern warning. You guys, if you continue to preach in the name of Jesus, bad things are going to happen to you. So they sent them out. Peter and John went to the Christians, and the first thing they did was they prayed. And we are dropping into the middle of that prayer in the middle of this story. And their first, the thing that we want to note, note here, that even in the face of this uh, severe persecution and opposition, they're praying, God, help us keep doing this. Give us boldness to continue to speak your word. Now, it's interesting, though. Now, it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Last week we talked about his word on our lips. Today we're going to talk about the second part of this because the disciples here, they, Peter and John and the rest that were praying, they put two things together that we often don't think of. They, they put together the preaching or the declaration of the word of God with the signs and wonders and miraculous demonstrations of his power. And they said, God, give us the boldness to keep preaching in the name of Jesus by... And so they were saying, in one, there's kind of two, thing, two ways this 
this can go and they both equal the same. You know, it's like two plus two equals four and so does one plus one. I mean, one plus three. <laughs> I did real well in math. You can figure that out. That's why I'm a preacher, not a mathematician or a scientist. Two plus two equals four, but so does one plus three, right? So both of these things equal the same. But the first one is they're saying, God, give us boldness by healing and working signs and wonders. When there is healing, when there is physical manifestations of the presence and power of God, it kind of gives you boldness to preach the word, right? So there's that, but there's also them saying, God, give us the boldness to preach your word by in other words, the way we will preach your word is by stretching forth your hand to heal. It's not something I'm going to do or something we can do, something we can muster. But Lord, we're going to in some way preach your word by the demonstration of your power, by stretching forth your hand to heal. And this is significant and important. And the reason why I wanted us to delve into this issue of God's power in your hands now, I asked you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, so if you could flip over there. And if you weren't obedient earlier and marked it, now you've got to help. Now you got to find it like I'm trying to do. Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to read two verses here. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews is anonymous. We don't know who it is. I have my opinion. I think it was the Apostle Paul, but you didn't hear me say that. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we really don't know. But whoever it was, he was writing to Jewish believers. Jewish people, Israelis, who had received the gospel and become Christians. And he's writing to them, and he reaches a point in his letter where he's about to change gears, and he's about to go on into some territory that's very deep. He's going to be talking about the, the priesthood of Messiah. This is deep stuff. And he re- catches himself, and he realizes, he says to himself, wait a minute. Are you guys ready for this? He asked that question. Are you guys ready to go into the deep end of the pool? Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity. Let's leave behind the elementary platform foundational teachings. And let's get ready to dive into the deep end of the pool. Let's go on to maturity or perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Listen, these are, there's six things here. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Of faith toward God. Of the doctrine of baptisms. Of laying on of hands. Of, etern- of uh, the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Six things that he says here are the foundational truths that we don't want to just keep repeating. We need to move on from here to maturity. We need to move on from from these foundational principles to the deep end of the pool. Are you guys ready for that? That's what he's saying. Are you, I'm not, I, I need to make sure you're ready. Now, the reason I, the reason I had you turn here is because it's an interesting thing to me. Evidently, this comprised the, the basic uh, new believer curriculum that was used in the early church. These are the things that the early believers considered to be foundational or elementary uh, principles. And I think we can all see that and re- realize that, you know, 
You don't get anywhere in faith in Christ until you come to repentance. That's where you stop going the way you've been going and decide I'm going God's way. Repentance from dead works. You, yeah, sure. You don't, yeah, it's got to be number one. And a faith toward God. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to believe God. This whole Christian deal is about believing in someone we can't see. Believing in something that was done for us that we did we weren't eyewitnesses of. That we can't even hardly comprehend. It's faith. So we understand that. Yeah, of course, that would be foundational. Doctrine of baptisms. You know, the Bible teaches about three types of baptism. Water baptism. That we're going to be baptizing baptizing people next week. Water. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism into the family of God. Don't get confused and don't get panicked. Wait a minute, I got two out of three. I got one out of three. No, don't, don't worry about that. I'm just saying that there's a doctrine of baptisms. There's a teaching of baptisms that's foundational in our Christian faith. It's one of the core, part of the core curriculum, right? And I think we'd all understand that. Laying on of hands. Of resurrection from the dead. If this thing, if this whole Christian deal doesn't end up somewhere, if there's no, no hope at the end of this, if there isn't eternal life at the end of it, what's it about? I mean, there are some benefits, I guess, in the temporal here and now, but I'm telling you, I'm banking on heaven. So, that, yeah, I get that. That's core, core curriculum. And eternal judgment. It's not a subject I like to talk a whole lot about, but the truth of the matter is we need to know and we need to understand that those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who do not receive the forgiveness that God has offered to us through the blood of Jesus, you're headed for an eternity apart from Him. It's foundational, right? Now, the one thing that stands out in here that I kind of skipped over a little bit there that... Uh, caught my attention was the laying on of hands. They considered the laying on of hands and doctrine, teaching, understanding that principle foundational to their to their concepts of what it means to be a Christian. And I got to be I got to just admit right up front, it's been decades since the last time that I taught on the on the laying on of hands. I mean, we do a lot of it. We did it earlier in the service when we were praying for the fathers. We do a lot of it, but I'm not sure we understand it. I mean, I think we get it in basic, you know, basically that we're connecting with somebody. But dear ones, there's more to it than that. We're not going to exhaust the subject today, but I do want to explore that with you. It's an important thing to understand the power of God in your and my Hands. Now turn to the book of Habakkuk. This is the last time you're going to have to flip around this morning. Habakkuk or Habakkuk, and I know some of you, the exercise of actually finding this book right now is going to be worth your investment in this morning. Little tiny book. And uh, don't be afraid to check the table of contents. But little tiny book in the in the minor prophets section of the Old Testament, Habakkuk or Habakkuk in chapter 3. This uh, chapter is the prophet Habakkuk uh, singing or, or, or speaking poetically, let's put it that way. It is a psalm, a song, a prophetic song that looks back on all that God has done but also looks forward to what he's going to do. And so it's filled with prophetic and poetic language. Verse 3, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Haran, 
And that's a poetic way of describing God coming to Mount Sinai to meet the people of Israel after they had left Egypt, when God led them out of Egypt and, uh, and through the Red Sea and all that, that I'm sure you're familiar with that story. He brought them to himself at Mount Sinai. And his glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light he had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. That word hidden could also be and probably would be better translated veiled. So he had, had, he had rays flashing from his hand, and this is poetic language, obviously. Rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was veiled. Now look, God is not a human. The Bible is clear about that. It says God is not a man. <laughs> He's spirit. So he doesn't have a physical body. I'm not sure you could say that God has hands in the way that we would imagine it. And to do so, any kind of way that we can imagine God is something less than he is, right? Uh, so it's not wrong to do, and I'll explain that in a minute, but God does not have physical hands. He is spirit. But the Bible does use, and get this, and this is probably, uh, this is my shining moment for the, for the morning. I get to use a $10 word, okay? God, and the Bible uses anthropomorphisms. Yeah. Now that was deserving of some sort of applause or reaction. I mean, I worked hard on that, all right? Hey. <laughs> An anthropomorphism is ascribing human characteristics or qualities to an inhuman thing. Don't what's so funny? Don't listen to this, dear. Uh oh. It's like when my when we used to have a dog and my wife would say the dog was smiling. Right? <laughs> she was <laughs> It's a so you get that. It's just using uh, human characteristics to describe a non-human thing. She was human, too. <laughs> so the Bible uses these things, and so when it, it's on purpose, too. God meant for us to understand something about where his power emanates from by using this. Yes, it's poetic language. Yes, it's an anthropomorphism, but it's also on purpose. And God is trying to relate to us and trying to help us understand some stuff. So, why this? Well, look, we were, I, and don't ask me to explain this either, but it is true, and the Bible says so, that we were created in the likeness of God. God is trying to communicate something to us that is profound and more profound than we can ascertain, and he's trying to make it concrete enough that we could get a hold of some part of it. He says, my power, this is, my power is veiled. And a veil is a temporary covering. It's meant to come off at some point, right? My power is veiled in my hand. Now, I, I, I just pondered that and wondered, well, well why, would, why would God go to this trouble? What's the, what's the purpose, the reason behind that? And I thought of a couple things. You know, your hand... And your, and your arm, they are uh, a play, that, that's a part of your body that you can express power, right? But power is not only forceful, as when I clench my fist and 
you know, do something. <laughs> I shouldn't. But it's also power, God's kind of power, is not only forceful, it's also tender. There isn't any part of your anatomy that can express both like your hand. Now, there's part of your, parts of your body that are stronger. Your leg is, and, and foot, that whole part of your anatomy is much stronger than your arm and your hand. But I can't remember the last time I hugged my wife with my leg. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I dried the tears from my child's eye with my toes. The part of your body, the part of your anatomy that expresses both force and tenderness is right here. Your hand. And God was saying something to us about the kind of power that he has, possesses and wields and wants to wield through us, which we'll get to in a minute. It's both forceful. It changes things. It causes things to happen. But it's also tender and expresses the heart of God too. Now, so we've just been talking about how the power of God is veiled in his hands. His power is veiled in God's hands. But the Bible is clear when you look at the life of Jesus, he meant to reveal his power in Jesus' hands, by Jesus' hands. You know, you can't make, a, you can't read the, the New Testament and come up with a you know, three-step process to healing based on how Jesus ministered healing to people. It can't be done. I don't care how many books people want to write about that. It can't be done. He approached every person, every situation uniquely and, and specifically, and he met that person not with a one, two, three, four, five-step process, but organically in the moment he was there to minister to their need. However, many times the method he used or part of that the, the experience of ministering healing to a sick person involved his touching them. You can read it over and over and over. He laid hands on them and they were healed. He also raised the dead by, he, by laying hands on a dead person. And he transferred blessing by laying hands on them. Remember when the... the Parents brought their kids to Jesus and they wanted him to bless them. And the disciples, shoo those brats away. You know, the master doesn't have time for them. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? Of such is the kingdom of heaven. That's another story. But he laid hands on them and blessed them. Now, you know, you and I, we really don't have a concept of what that means to, to bless. It's been lost to, uh, to our, our culture. But in God's economy, that word is huge. It's huge. The dispensing of blessing to, from one person to another is a huge, big deal. In fact, you, know, you read the story of Jacob and Esau, two twin brothers, very different from one another. Jacob, uh, excuse me, Esau traded Blessing for a pot of stew. He traded away this, this hugely valuable, incredibly valuable thing of the blessing of his father for the sake of getting his belly filled. And that, that came to describe the distinction between these two brothers and why God's blessing was on Jacob and not on Esau. 
It was a huge thing, but it was conveyed with the laying on of hands. It was not ceremonial, is what I'm trying to say. It was not just line up those kids and let's slap some, some blessing on them. All right? It was important. So the power of God was veiled in God's hands, revealed in Jesus' hands, and dispensed through the disciples' hands. They healed the sick. You can, I could take you to the verses of Scripture, but it's not really important for me to do right now. But over and over, the disciples, the followers of Christ now, deputized, if you were, by Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit. They went around laying hands on the sick, and they recovered, just like their master had shown them to do. It says that they, that science, specifically in Acts chapter 14, verse 3, it says that signs and wonders were performed by the disciples with the laying on of their hands, in their hands, by their hands. Signs and wonders were accomplished. Blessing was transferred. You know, in Acts chapter 6, we reached a point in the development of the early church where, uh, uh, which properly had taken on the responsibility for the cares of, care of the widows and orphans among them. There weren't social agencies to do that kind of thing. None of the sort of back, uh, back stops and safety nets that we have. So the church took on that assignment. And there came to be this little argument going on where the, the Greek or, or non-Hebrew believers felt as though their widows were not being taken care of as well as the Jewish believers. So the apostles, they said, okay, we'll find us some guys that are full of the Holy Spirit, that are wise and can be trusted, and we'll turn them loose to solve this problem. So here's what I'm sure did not happen. That you had these thrones up here on the platform, and you got Peter and James and John and the rest of them up there, you know, there's, uh, with their hands folded into their laps, and they've got some you know, nice robes on and everything. And then the organ music swells and Philip and Stephen, they make their way down the aisle and they, the guys on the platform rise and then they, you know, lay hands on them. You're a deacon, you're a deacon, you're a deacon. You're a, I, that did not happen because it was not ceremonial. It was powerful, but it says they did lay hands on them to confer this blessing, to transmit this authority from them to the disciples, the, uh, excuse me, the uh, deacons who were going to take care of this issue and serve these widows and orphans. A transferring of blessing had happened with a laying on of hands. It says that the baptism and the Holy Spirit was ministered with, to, to those who who were filled with the Spirit by the laying on of hands. Not in every case, but in most of the cases, by the laying on of hands. And that brings us to the last thing I want to focus on today, that God intends for His power to be entrusted to your hands. And I don't know about you, but that makes me squirm a bit. When I think about the, the immense truth that just left my lips a minute ago, it ought, to, it ought to stir a reverence and a humility in, in us that the God who is over all things would entrust his power into my hands. Something I could never deserve, something I could never earn, and yet he has called me to represent him in this world, not in a token or ceremonial way, but in a power-filled way. That that 
the the force and the tenderness of his power can be communicated right here with these hands. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. Demonstrates his incredible confidence in you. Stephen, God has a lot of confidence in you. I don't, but he does. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Can you imagine? God is entrusting you with his power in your hands. It's just amazing to me. He has entrusted us with this incredible thing. So we need to take it seriously. That's why, and for you've heard this verse before, and maybe you didn't quite think of it this way, but that's why in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, it says, don't lay hands suddenly or hastily on somebody. The reason that that, 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 uh, that Paul said that to Timothy, Timothy, he didn't mean, Timothy, stop going like that to people and scaring them. That's not why he said that. He said that because, Timothy, this is serious stuff. Don't take it for granted. Don't just blithely go around slapping people on, on the head. You know, I'm going to get in trouble with this. But, you know, look, I, I, I don't think it's a secret. I'm not a huge fan of what is sometimes called uh, being slain in the spirit. I know it happens. I know it can be legitimate. And so I'm not, I'm not arguing against it. I'm just saying that I've seen a lot of abuse to it. I figure if God wants me on the floor, I'm going there whether anybody touches me or not. And I know this. I know that I've seen, you know, you get your hands up in the air, you're sort of off balance a little bit. It doesn't take very much before you're going, especially if you figure that's what's expected, right? And you can see it, you know, I've gotten off, off course now. Anyway, point is, the point is, the reason that ticks me off is because it's not taking the laying on of hands seriously. It's making a show of it, making a parlor game of it. And it's not. It was so serious that Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timmy, I know you're scared. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. He said, stir up the gift that's in you by what? The laying on of my hands. I transferred something to you. In the laying on of my hands, in the name of Jesus, that's so powerful. You better not. Forget it. Stir it up. But that humility and that reverence that I'm trying to describe about this incredible calling that God has given to each one of us brings a square... Um, face to face with the fact that my hands have been places they shouldn't have been. My hands have done things that do not represent God well. And that's why Paul said again to Timothy, he said, I would pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. That's why James said, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Look, I can't do anything about my sin. Only Jesus can, and he has. 
So it's not a matter of him doing something new or something different. He's already, if you have come to faith in Christ, he's already covered and paid for your sin. But it is appropriate to bring to him when realization comes to you of the ways that you have dishonored him. It is appropriate to acknowledge that and admit that and say, Dear God, I thank you. I don't need to send you to the cross again. You've already paid for my sin, but I want to admit to you, I need your cleansing. I want to represent you well in this world.